Amen. To that I say amen. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to thank these guys. I mean, they're so faithful and ladies and leading us week in and week out. And, and it's such a powerful thing. It is um, when, you know, God's people come together uh, to lift high the name of Jesus. So I'm just very thankful for them. Very thankful for uh, all of you, but especially thankful for um, our staff. I just want to take a moment and just really speak on to our staff. You know, Pastor Kyle did a tremendous job uh, last Sunday morning. I'm very thankful for, for him and, uh, you know, with Sue and, and Legay and Pastor Dave and, and Caleb. I mean, these, these guys do a tremendous job, and, and we're very blessed uh, as, as a church. I'm very thankful for them. I'm very thankful for all of our, you know, people here. And, and this past Friday, we had our sportsman's banquet. It's hard to believe it was the 10th annual sportsman's banquet. And so I assure you, this stage looks a lot different than it did 36 hours ago. Um, uh, 36 hours ago, uh, there was a lot of dead animals up here. But anyway, it was, it was, it was a great evening, and uh, the gospel was clearly presented. Uh, our, our guest speaker did a tremendous job on Friday night, but that was a ton of, it's, it's really probably one of the largest outreach events we do. Um, you know, there were over 800 people in this room uh, eating um, barbecued beaver and uh, sesame squirrel. I don't know. That was some crazy stuff out there, but I don't think there was sesame squirrel. I'm just kidding. Actually, I do think I saw sesame squirrel. Um, and I saw the guy who probably, anyway, so it was a great event, but a lot of work that goes into that. And just want to thank that team, uh, them and their wives do a tremendous job running that. And so can we just give those guys a round of applause? They did a great job. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Next Sunday morning is Baptism Sunday, and so be praying ahead of time for uh, those who uh, will be making their way into the baptism waters next Sunday morning. It's always a great uh, blessing that I get to sit down and hear uh, the stories of these individuals, and so uh, I think we've got close to 20 that are getting baptized next Sunday morning between the three services, and so we're celebrating what the Lord uh, is doing in uh, their lives. We're continuing in our series in Luke, and so if you've got your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 4. Uh, Pastor Kyle was in Luke uh, last week, and so we're just going to kind of pick up where uh, he left off. And, and for those of you who have been with us, you know this is what we've been doing, right? We go all the way back to December, and that was really our Christmas series, was just beginning in Luke 1 and Luke 2, which is the, the birth narratives of Christ. And we've just stayed in it. And so we're just going to keep walking in it. I believe the more time we spend, especially here in the Gospels, man, the more you see Jesus, the more you see the heart of Christ, the more you see the, the, the authority, the sovereignty of, of Christ. And so I would encourage you, even beyond Sunday morning, to spend time in God's Word. But spend time as we're walking through this series, I would encourage you through the Gospels. Spend time going to Mark and spend time going to Matthew and seeing what we call the synoptic gospel. You know, it's where we get our English word synopsis to see together and to see, you know, the different stories. You know, many of them found in all three of those gospels. We know that John is 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 90% different than Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And so I'd encourage you just to, you know, make this a part of your discipline. Make this a part of your 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 quiet time to spend time with the Lord. Life can get crazy. And I was thinking about even these families up here on this stage, you know, with, with kids and multiple kids. I mean, life can get crazy. And, and unless we're intentional in our walk with the Lord, man, it has a tendency to fall by the wayside. But how critical it is. And, and in light of what we're going to look at this morning, uh, I believe how critical it is. And so Luke chapter 4 this morning, we're going to pick up in verse 31. The title of the message this morning is Perfect Love. And we come to a place uh, in the Gospel of Luke that's kind of a transition 
Uh, Really for four and a half chapters, Luke has been laying out the person of Christ. And we see this going back all the way to chapter one, where he he affirms, you know, that it's the affirmation that this is the son of God, that this is Jesus, that this is the one spoken of by Isaiah, that this is the one spoken of by the father in the garden of Eden in Genesis 3.15, the first prophecy of a savior given in God's word. This is he. And so for four chapters, Luke has been building this case, right? I mean, it's almost like an investigative reporter. He's just been building his case that he's affirmed by the angels. He's affirmed by the shepherds. He's affirmed by the wise men. He's affirmed by, you know, those in the temple. He's affirmed by John the Baptist, the forerunner, you know, fulfilling prophecy of the Old Testament, the one who would go to pave the way. He's affirmed by the Father, as we see there at the baptism of Jesus there in the Jordan, as the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descends upon him, the clouds open and the voice from heaven cries out, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And so for four and a half chapters, Luke's been building his case in the person of Christ. And that even all the way led into the wilderness as he was tempted for 40 days by Satan himself. Now we see this transition where really Luke begins to focus on the power of Christ, the authority of Christ. We're going to see his power over even the teachers, the authority he has over teachers, the authority he has over nature, the authority that he even has over, over, you know, with the miracles that he performs, sickness and disease. And even here in this passage, the authority he has over spiritual hosts of wickedness. The Bible talks about that in the life of the believer, man, that Spiritual warfare is a very real thing. And if you go to Ephesians 6, Paul really expounds upon you know, the battle that takes place every single day. And he says these words in Ephesians 6, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. What does he say? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to stand. Spiritual warfare is a very real thing. And for those who do not know Christ, the enemy stands opposing your profession of faith. And even in this room today, there is spiritual warfare. If you're here today and you've never by faith called upon the name of Jesus, I can tell you what the one agenda of the enemy is to keep you from doing so. To believers in this place, we see the same attacks that Satan uses against Jesus in the wilderness are the same things he uses against us, obviously in different forms, but he tempts us to doubt God's love. I think we've all been there before. He tempts us to to doubt God's plan in our lives. Really, God, you're really a God of love and you're really sovereign, then how in the world could this be happening in my life? And fear. The enemy loves to use fear. And we know that he uses and he works in the gray areas of our lives. God doesn't work in the gray areas of our lives. God works in the black and white and he uses truth. He uses light in darkness. But the enemy is quick to cast fear. And I pray you're encouraged this morning. I pray that what you find in here is that, yes, the Bible does speak of fear when it comes to spiritual warfare, but not on our side, on their side. And we're going to see some powerful truths, I believe, through this passage of Scripture this morning. This is home for me. I was the type of kid raised in a preacher's home where my dad, uh, we, you know, we, it wasn't a legalistic household, but my dad was very careful of the things that he would step in and allow us to do. And one of his things were horror movies. Like, like, like he, he, was, he was very like, like sensitive about, okay, what, oh, it's a monster, okay, no big deal, right? But, but if it's dealing with like spiritual things, you know, I remember that was something that, that, that we would sit down even as a family and say, okay, These are real things. We can't see them, but the Bible speaks of them. 
And I had a brother, six years older than me, who used to torment me, and I was, it was well-deserved, okay? And, and I remember as a kid, you know, my brother, and I still remember the story, my brothers and his friends ran a movie, and the deal was, Heath, if you don't tell Dad what movie we're going to watch, you can watch it with us. Friday the 13th, y'all remember that movie, right? My brother then proceeded to walk around with a hockey mask for the next 20 years of my life, basically, Okay. <laughs> I remember as uh, in college, I remember in college, I had a group of friends one night and they were said, hey, we're going to go to the movies. You want to go to the movies? So I'm like, sure. Well, we're going to go see a comedy, a drama. No, we're going to go see the Blair Witch Project. Y'all remember that? It's the first rendition of Blair Witch Project. 1998, 1999, something like that. Uh, not following the leading of the Lord, I said, sure, let's go see the Blair. And at that time, that was like, oh, it's real and it's demonic and da, 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 da. We went the night before. The next night, I was waiting tables at my mom's. I got home late, and I was like, I don't need to shower. My parents have a pool. I'll just jump in the pool. It's the same as a shower, right? Kind of still to this day. Sorry. Anyway, and so I jumped in the pool. I'm sitting in the back of the back of the porch, and all of a sudden, there's woods back behind my parents' house. I start hearing the most god-awful sound, hissing, hissing, and then I start hearing clawing, and I'm frozen in fear. I can't move. I'm like, the Blair Witch lives behind my mom and dad's house. <laughs> my mom comes outside. She woke up in the middle of the night, probably about three in the morning. She's like, what are you doing out here? And I'm just sitting there. It's like, I, I could not even move. And I said, mom, I said, I, there's something in the woods. She said, I caught him. I said, you, you caught the Blair Witch? She said, no, I caught the raccoon. I've been trying to catch for two years now that's been eating my garden. And so she had set up a trap in those woods, and she had caught the raccoon the night after I had gone seen this movie. Was that a coincidence? It was not a coincidence. I say all that to say, the enemy likes to work in deception and fear. And if we are very honest with ourselves, there are many of us who walked in the door this morning with some type of fear of how's this going to play out? How's this going to play out in my marriage? How's this going to play out in my life? I've got a the diagnosis from a doctor. How's this going to play out? And fear can grip us. But when we read God's word, the Bible tells us that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. And that perfect love is what the Bible says. Perfect love drives out Fear. What is perfect love? It's the love of Christ. I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning, reverence to reading God's word. It's the first recorded miracle in Luke. And so we know that, again, uh, uh, there are other gospel accounts that this isn't the first recorded miracle of Jesus, but according to Luke, this is the record, first recorded miracle. And there's a reason, right? We know that he's writing in a, in, a, in a very orderly fashion, that almost, again, like an investigative reporter, a Gentile physician, the way his mind is working, he's building his case. And so he comes from what? The, the wilderness. He had been, Jesus had been tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. We know that last week, uh, Pastor Kyle spoke about how he stood in the synagogues and he read Isaiah 61. Well, now it kind of transitions that, okay, if we're to put our trust in this Jesus for who four chapters he begins to build is the son of God, is the one spoken of in the Old Testament, then we also have to be able to trust his power because it's one thing for him to be able to withstand the temptation of the enemy himself. It's another thing for him to protect us and remove us from the oppression of the evil one. And so as we look at this passage of scripture, I believe, again, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, the Lord led the hand of Luke in the order that he did to write this first miracle in Luke. Chapter 4, verse 31 to 37. The Bible says this, Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. 
And they were astonished at his teaching. We see this play out every time, right? Anytime Jesus even opened his mouth, there was astonishment. Okay, he's not normal. He's not human. He's human, but there's something else going on here. They were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now, in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, let us alone. Notice the plural. Let us alone. What have we, notice the plural, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? Interesting question. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him but did not hurt him. Verse 39, then they were all amazed. We see this consistent theme. And spoke among themselves, saying, what a word this is. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out, and the report about him went into every place in the surrounding region. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for truth this morning. And Lord, although there's many things that it's hard for us to wrap our minds around, Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word, and we trust in the truth of your word. And Lord, we rest, we rest in the victory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we rest in the authority of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that, yes, every day in our lives is warfare, but we know the end of the story. We thank you for that, because the enemy does too. Lord, is this time that you have us here upon this earth? Lord, whether you tarry or you call us home, Lord, may we walk in light. Lord, may we live our lives in light. Lord, may our lives be a testimony of others of the power of a Savior who can pluck us from the kingdom of darkness and place us into the kingdom of light. We thank you for Jesus, our King, our Lord, our Savior. And Lord, as we continue to walk through these passages, may we just fall deeper in love with the one who came and lived and died and rose again. May that name be lifted high in this place. We pray it, we ask it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. An initial response of fear, which I think is is normal, especially when it comes to this particular subject, because let's be real, I mean, there's many things that that is beyond our understanding. There's many things that that go beyond what we can wrap our minds around. I heard a pastor say, pertaining to this subject, you know, we must always go as far as the Bible takes us, but we must be careful to not go beyond the Bible. What I mean by that is sometimes even in the world and entertainment and all these different things, we can take, and this is how the enemy works, right? He takes 80% truth, but then he distorts it uh, 20% over here, but we know that that's 100% of a lie. And so we must be careful that even as we walk through a subject like this, that again, I approach this with great humility because I stand before you recognizing my limitations and even understanding all that happens beyond the unseen world. We know because we've experienced it, the reality of warfare, the reality of, of, of the lies of the enemy. We understand that, yes, we have a God who loves us, and I will stand before this, this, this congregation until God calls me home declaring that love, but hey, there's a flip side to it. We have an enemy who hates us because he hates Jesus. And he wants nothing more than to destroy your life, destroy your marriage, destroy your home, destroy your family. And so let's be real about the two. There's great victory, there's great authority on this side, but at the same time, there's great sobering reality 
on this side. And I believe as we look at this passage here, again, it gives us great hope. It gives us great encouragement that we don't have to operate in fear because the Bible does speak of fear, but it doesn't speak of our fear. I'll give you this passage. James 2.19 says, you believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe, and what does the Bible say? And they tremble. They shudder. And so as we look at this passage here, we're going to ask that question. What is it? What is it truly that the enemy fears? What is it truly, if God has not called us to a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind of power and the perfect love of Christ, what is it that stands against the attacks of the enemy? Well, I think we see it here in this passage. Look at verse 31. First of all, it's the preaching of God's word. It says this, when he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. Now, we don't know here exactly what is the passage. I mean, many have kind of brought to the conclusion that that it could be what we saw last week with, with Pastor Kyle's sermon, that he unrolls Isaiah 61. And he begins to quote, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I've been sent here to set the captives free. And again, you think about the magnitude, the weight of that moment, that here's the eternal word of God, right? That's how John 1 describes him. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. Here is the eternal word of God now audibly speaking the word of God. Like, again, that's hard for us to wrap our minds around just the magnitude of this specific moment, that in all of eternity, here is God's word, Jesus Standing in physical form, now reading God's word about himself. The Bible says that here he is in this synagogue and he's preaching the word of God. We see this, right? That anytime Jesus is speaking, what is he doing? He is speaking truth. He is speaking God's word. And he even says that. If you go to John chapter 8, verse 25, you'll find this passage. It says, then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, the Father. And I speak to the world those things. He is so sold out to the will of the Father that he is speaking only the words of the Father. He's already claimed, Isaiah 61, anointed by the Spirit, sent by the Father to preach freedom to the captive, sight to the blind, deliverance to the oppressed. Why wouldn't the enemy stand in opposition to what is taking place here. Anytime God's word is spoken, anytime God's word is preached, even in this setting right here, I guarantee you the things that we can't see, that we have an enemy that opposes the preaching of God's word. And that's why my prayer every week is that when we come in this place, we hear from the Lord. Because listen, there ain't no power in my words. There ain't no power in my testimony. There ain't no power in my experiences. There's only power in the word of God. And so I pray that what you hear, what I hear, I pray that what we feed upon is the power and the authority that's found in God's word. Because the enemy trembles at the word of God. The truth of God's word. If you're wrestling with fear, if you're wrestling with doubt, if you're wrestling, okay, God, do you love me? Do you see me? I'm going to tell you where you need to go. You need to go to God's word. And you need to rest in the light, not in the gray area. You need to rest in the areas that God has remarkably revealed as truth that applies to the here and now. Look at what happens here in verse 32. It says, and they were astonished at his teaching. How could they not be? I mean, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, he was the beginning with God, all things were made through him, without him nothing was made that was made, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Of course they're amazed, they had never heard anyone speak like this. They had never heard the authority, the clarity, the truth, the conviction. So he stands, and here's the Son of God speaking the word of God. 
And look at what happens. It's the first miracle recorded in Luke, verse 33. Now, in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. This is demon possession. I'll get in that in just a moment. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, it's interesting when the Bible speaks of demon possession. You only find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. You don't find it in the Old Testament. You don't find it in any of the epistles. And any time the Bible speaks specifically of this happening, the Bible will use in the original language three different words kind of interchangeably. It will use the word indwelt, as we see here. It will use the word controlled. It will use the word tormented. And every time the Bible speaks of demon possession, it's never about the person. It's always about the interaction between Jesus and the, and the principalities of darkness. It's never about the wickedness of the person. There's never a mention about the sins of the person. I think sometimes we read scripture and we think to ourselves, well, that person must have been really wicked in order for them to be possessed by a demon. Well, if you go a little bit further in the gospel, the Bible even talks about a little girl being, being possessed by a demon. And so we know that, okay, we got to sort out some truth here. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but we have to sort out some truth. I believe according to the authority of God's word, a child of God, a believer cannot be possessed by a demon. Bottom line. Because we are the temple of what? The Holy Spirit. You know, what relationship is light with darkness? We understand that. And so there's a difference between possession and influence. We have to distinguish between the two. There's a difference between possession and influence. We have influence. We live in a world system that is going a certain way. The prince of this world, the Bible says that the world lays in the lap of the enemy. But he's still under the authority of God. Some have described it as Satan's on a leash before God, that God is still has sovereignty even over the works of the devil. Now, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around. But that's where you come to that testimony, what the enemy intended for evil, what God uses for good. Hey, there's many of our stories right there. That what the enemy intended for evil, man, God redeemed and God used for good. But at the time, man, my goodness, it was hard for me to see what was going on. I look back now and you know what? For God's glory and for my good, he was doing things beyond what I could understand. And so as we sort through this out, what is it that causes them to tremble? Well, first of all, here is Jesus reading, proclaiming the word of God. So he's preaching God's word, but he's also declaring God's purpose. What do they tremble at? They tremble at the purpose of God. Notice what the demon says to him. Look at verse 34. Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Understand, this demon knew who was standing before him, right? Never in scripture do you find where either Satan or the demons ever question the validity of Jesus. Never do you find that. You find religious leaders questioning the validity of Jesus. Really, you're the son of God. And we know that even further that there were some who saw the miracles and even Jesus being able to remove the possession of demons. They said, oh, he must be working for Beelzebub. And so there were religious leaders and people who would question the validity that Jesus was truly the son of God. But never in scripture will you find any interaction where a demon will go, are you really this person? No, they knew who they were standing before and they trembled. They trembled at his preaching, but they trembled at his purpose. Look at the last part of verse 34. Did you come to destroy us? This demon ultimately understood not only his fate, but the rest of their fate, right? Because listen to what Jesus says in Luke eleven twenty. 20. You can write this down as a cross-reference. He says, if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so these demons recognize, okay, man, this must be going down. They understand the end of the story. They understand that ultimately God would be triumphant. They've already been cast out of heaven. Here is this demon thinking, okay, well, maybe today's the day. 
right? The Bible says no man knows, right? That no man knows the day and the time. And so here are these demons thinking, okay, have you come to destroy us? Is today the day that the Son of God arrives upon the scene and casts us into the lake of fire? Listen to this passage, 1 John 3, 8. The Bible says, he who sins practices lawlessness. It doesn't mean commit sin. It means lives in sin, is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. But listen to this. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. The Son of God became man. That he might, what? Destroy the works of the devil. That's the purpose of the Son of God, right? I mean, here's this battle that is taking place between souls. There are battles that are raging today between souls. And listen, he wants to be be subtle and he wants us to compromise here and there. But what's at stake? Ultimately, what's at stake is the souls of human beings. And so why wouldn't the enemy oppose the work of God? They know the plan. They know that God is going to be triumphant. They know that God eternally is going to judge them. They know that they will be condemned for all of eternity. They know it's only a matter of time, and they tremble. And you see it playing out right here. He says, have you come to destroy, not me, what does he say? Have you come to destroy us, plural? What have we to do with you? The word destroy means to dissolve. The word destroy in the original language means to disconnect something that holds together. Have you come to break the chains? Have you come to lock us away? Have you come to now declare your victory for all of eternity? They shudder. They tremble in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The preaching of God's word, the purpose of God's plan, but just in his presence. Look at how this plays out. Look at verse 34. And he cried out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? And don't miss this. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, why does he use the word holy? Why is that important? Well, let's take a moment and think through it, right? I mean, what is, the most, what is most frightening to that which is wicked? That which is Holy. I mean, if we go back and we read in the Old Testament that there were prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, that fell on their face in fear just in the presence of God, then what in the world would the most wicked, who has no good in them, do in the presence of the Son? Ultimate evil, what? Cringes in the presence of perfect holiness. And the enemy wants us to get that backwards. The enemy wants us to walk in fear and to walk in trembling. But the Bible says that as a child of God, I've been adopted into the kingdom of God, no longer in the kingdom of darkness, but now transferred into the kingdom of light. And there is power, not in me, but there is power in my Savior. And if my Savior lives in me, then guess what? Even the enemy and the principalities shudder at the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I know who you are. He doesn't question it. We question it. This world questions it. Isn't that what James says? You believe in God. That's great. Even demons believe and they tremble. I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Now, that's an interesting description there. It reminds me of what Luke says in chapter one. If you remember the interaction with Gabriel and Mary, how Gabriel describes Jesus And the birth announcement, let me give you this passage, Luke 135, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, that holy one, that holy offspring, and it's the same name there that the demon calls upon Jesus, that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. What do I have to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? They knew who he was. They knew who he is, 
and they know why he came. And the Bible says they shudder at the preaching of God's word by the word of God. In the context of this passage, in the purpose of God's plan, in the presence of a Savior, look at the power here. I've got a nice, my dad would be so proud. Here's a nice 4P alliterated outline. Right here's the power of God's hand. Now, here's the first miracle recorded in the Gospel of Luke, verse 35. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. When the demon had thrown him in the midst, it came out of him, but did not hurt him. And they were all amazed, and they spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went into every place in the surrounding region. That phrase there, he rebuked him, it portrays something. And what it portrays is this. It portrays immediate domination. There was no wrestling that was taking place here. It means that this evil spirit and all evil spirits, guess what, fall subject to the Son. They fall subject to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible declares that. And the Bible says we don't have to live in fear. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of soundness, power, because perfect love drives out fear. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, For he, the Father, has put all things, all things under the feet of the Son. Colossians 2, 13, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive together with him, having forgiven all of your trespasses having wiped away the guilt, the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, that was contrary to us. Stay with me, look at this. And he has taken it, either way, nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed what? Principalities. Having disarmed principalities, and not only just disarming, but making a public spectacle. What do we see here in Luke 4? A public spectacle. Not only am I going to disarm you, I'm going to show people the authority that lies within a Savior. Having made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Romans 8, 38, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, what? I will not fear. I will not fear. When everything inside of me says fear, the Bible says what? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light, my salvation, whom... Whom, what shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Second Timothy 1, 7, God's not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. The words to Joshua, be strong, be courageous, says the Lord. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God, stand with me, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So you drop the mic right there, man. Fear cripples, right? Fear cripples. The unknown can cripple. If you don't hear any other passage this morning, hear this passage. Colossians 1.13. For he, Jesus, has delivered us from the power of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The Bible says why every one of us in this place, we're born into the kingdom of darkness. If you've never professed Christ as your savior, guess what? You're living right now in the kingdom of darkness. There is no gray area. 
You're either walking in the kingdom of light or you're walking in the kingdom of darkness. I've heard people say, well, I've known God my whole life. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we are born in Adam, therefore we are born in our sins, therefore we stand opposed to the throne of God. We stand enemies to the throne of God. And so what does it do? It brings us to a recognition that yes, I am spiritually bankrupt. There is nothing I can do. There's no morality, there's no baptism, there's no church membership, there's no verses I can cite. No, it's a heart. It's a heart that cries out to a savior that says, Lord, I acknowledge John 14, six, that you're the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other way for me to come to the father except through you. And so I profess my faith. I don't understand it all. I don't know all the scriptures, but I know enough to know that, hey, I'm walking in bondage and I need to be delivered. I need to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And there's one name that allows that to happen. And it's the name of Jesus. And I stand before you this morning to tell you, he is active. The enemy is active. Right now as I speak, man, if you're here and you're like, what is all this religion stuff? It's Jesus. The enemy is actively opposing the message that I pray is from God's word that is being spoken to you. Because he wants one thing, and that's the soul. The believers in this place, he's active. And the moment we begin to you know, let our guard down and not be intentional in this battle, we're not fighting for the victory. The victory's been won. But we're walking in that victory, and that requires disciplines, truth, submission, Tell you why, this has been one of the hardest weeks I've had in a long time. Why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't it be? I don't know how many people are sitting right now under the sound of my voice that if they died today would spend an eternity in hell. Why wouldn't it be? I had my five year old son last night tell me I needed to apologize to his mama. And you know what? He was exactly right. Here I was preparing a message on all this stuff. And my guard went down. And I sat there last night. I was so convicted. Here I am getting ready to preach a message on this. And he has kicked my tail all week long. I tell you what, it was a great reminder that Heath, you ain't no match for the enemy. But Jesus has already done it all. And in Christ, there is victory. And in Christ, there isn't fear. There's power and love. Because perfect love drives out fear. And this world has only seen perfect love one time. That's Jesus. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And I simply ask you, plead with you to take inventory of your life where you sit right now. I do. Because listen, we're not promised this afternoon, we're not promised tomorrow, and it's one of the great lies of the enemy. I've heard it my whole life. Put it off, put it off, put it off. Get your life straight first. Let's work this part out here, and then you can come to Jesus, but you're too dirty. Hey, it don't work that way. We got to bring our stuff to the Lord and say, Lord... I'm bound by this. I'm running on a treadmill trying to get across the street. I'm not going anywhere. I'm spending a lot of time, a lot of energy. 
and I'm crippled. So I just simply ask you, man, if, if you stood before your creator today, let's just say you're like, well, I don't even believe in that. Well, let's just say there is a creator. And let's just say that he is holy and perfect. And if you stood before his presence today, what would the response be to why the doors of heaven should be open? Because anything other than Jesus is the wrong response. And so I just simply ask you, do you have that assurance? It's not magic words, it's a heart that cries out to the Lord. That even right now, I know the enemy's opposing, that even right now where you're seated, in your heart of hearts, you can cry out, Lord, I don't understand all this. I wasn't even planning on being here today. I came because someone was getting dedicated. But my heart's beating fast. And I feel you drawing me to you, which is weird. And I don't understand it all, but Lord, I surrender to it. And Lord, I, I call upon this Jesus that the scripture speaks about, that these songs are sung about, to save me, to do what I cannot do for myself, to save me, to be the champion of my soul. It's repentance and faith. It's turning from your sins and turning to a Savior. There's power in the name of Jesus. But as we all know as believers, hey, the struggle doesn't end there. It really, in a lot of ways, begins. So to the believers in this place, what gray area is the enemy lying to you in? What gray area? Is my marriage going to work? Is my kid going to be okay? What gray area? Maybe this morning, just truth, right? He's taken us and transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So, Lord, may your light shine as truth in my life. Lord, I don't know where this is going, but I surrender myself to you. Again, the enemy is opposing. What if? What if? What if? So I'm going to ask a team to come at this time, and I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would, as we go to the Lord in prayer. We've got Pastor Kyle, we've got Pastor Dave, we've got our spiritual response team. There is nothing more than these men and ladies want to do than come beside you in this. Hey, don't leave today unless your eternity is secure. Can I just say that straight up to you? Because that parking lot's crazy. I don't know what's going to happen in that parking lot. I mean, I'm joking about that, but let's be real. We don't know. What a tragedy. To hear truth and to walk out and allow the enemy to lie. Man, don't. If you stood before God today, our Heavenly Father, Lord, who were humbled by your love for us, your perfect love that cast out fear. And Lord, as we respond to that and as we walk in that, Lord, we pray that, Lord, you would just protect us and guard us from the wiles, the tricks of the enemy who like a roaring lion seeks to devour, still kill and destroy our homes, our marriages, our kids, our testimony. Lord, you are victorious. Lord, we claim your victory, won in your resurrection. Penalty of sin paid for upon the cross, but victory won through your resurrection. 
And Lord, as we wake up each day, may we walk in that victory. May our minds be quick to go to truth, not to the what ifs, not to the gray areas. May we put our eyes upon your word. May we allow that truth to permeate our hearts. And Lord, may we see it in the way that you change us. Use us for your honor and your glory. We give you praise because you alone are worthy to be praised. We lift high the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.